What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Baseball Insiders on this Thursday, October 26th. We got a World Series that nobody saw coming. I'm Adam Weiner alongside fan-sided MLB insider Robert Murray, the lucky man who already lives in Arizona and gets to go see his hometown Diamondbacks play the Rangers in, I believe, the World Series with the lowest combined winning percentage in the history of baseball. So does this say something about baseball or the playoffs, or is it just a crazy thing that has happened. I kind of lean the second one, but Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, it's the best month of the year and the best week in that month. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I'm i still in disbelief that it's the Arizona Diamondbacks versus the Texas Rangers in the World Series. If you asked me, like, if you told me that was going to be in the World Series when the playoffs started, I would have thought you were crazy. But alas, here we are. It is reality. I... Could not have been more wrong in my predictions, even on Monday. Like the, my predictions, our predictions this entire year could not have been worse. Um, but yeah, I, I, anyways, it's our reality. Adam Weiner, always a pleasure to be with you. Here with you. How you doing? I'm doing good. Although I must say, we predicted everything entirely lopsided on Monday. We said Astros, Phillies. We thought the Phillies were safe, like in a horror movie, where like you think the killer's dead, and then you go home, and it's like. No, nope, Brandon Fott's still here. He's alive. He's murdering me with a knife. But <laughs> the Astros, to be fair, I thought the Astros were going to win game seven. That was a little bit of a reverse jinx on my part. If I have the chance to pick the Astros in a playoff series, I'm going to do it, hoping that it brings a little bad karma against them in some capacity. And uh, they got hit with the karma stick in game seven. That was not particularly close. No, I mean, that was a blowout right from the get-go. And they basically, it seemed like it was once they got down such early, once they were down as much as they were, it, it seemingly felt like it was just over. And the Rangers, I give them a ton of credit because playing in that environment in Houston and being able to do that and ultimately advance to the World Series, um, I think that says a lot about their character. And the stat, like the stat that I think was really telling going into that game was that Bruce Bochy was undefeated in game sevens and that dusty Baker was, he had never won in a game seven and Bruce Bochy. Uh, I cannot say enough about that hire, but they have the talented roster in place, obviously. And they felt like they were a really good manager and also some pitching away um, from getting over the hump. And lo and behold, they added the pitching, they got the hall of fame manager and here they are, here they are now in the world series and they would seemingly enter as favorites. I guess you can't really count the Diamondbacks out in any way. Uh, but the fact that it's the Rangers and the Diamondbacks in this, I can't emphasize enough just how unlikely that was and, and how crazy that actually is. And Dusty will end his career with no wins in game sevens. He walked away. That's a big portion of what we got to talk about today, too. We have to talk about personnel moves in Houston, Boston, yeah. San Francisco. Uh, if a World Series preview wasn't enough for you guys on the stream and on the audio feed, we also got plenty of personnel shifts to talk about. We will be taking your questions. We welcome your questions here in the comments or in the Discord, which you get access to by becoming a member on the YouTube channel. Just 99 cents a month for a private conversation with Robert and I and the rest of the crew. 
between episodes. It's the only way to get your questions in between shows. Today's show is also sponsored by DraftKings, who's running a postseason promotion you will not want to miss. New users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim 200 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. All you have to do is sign up with our code BASEBALLINSIDER. It is right on the screen right there, BASEBALLINSIDER on DraftKings. It gets to these great bonuses, and it directly supports the podcast. If you're a new user who's been considering signing up for DraftKings, use the code BASEBALLINSIDER to maximize your first bets and parlays. The offer is only available to new customers who are 21-plus physically present legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. In terms of the prediction game, I think we probably have to leave this episode making some kind of prediction about the World Series. But more importantly, I think we just have to step back and appreciate it. Um, we've, we've come close on a few of these predictions. I obviously predicted both of the last series incorrectly, but I did have Kevin Ginkle as the best reliever in the NLCS, and I had Craig Kimbrell as the worst reliever in the NLCS. Both of those did come to bear. So... Maybe we should just focus on individual players, matchups, relationships, uh, X factors. Maybe that's more important than focusing on the whole. Um, we're one day away from game one. It's Friday night in Texas in a stadium where the Rangers went 0 for 3 in the ALCS and still won the series and went to the World Series. Crazy. What are you looking forward to in this uh, extremely unpredictable series? Yeah, I, I think you you got to look at two things here. Uh, is first, it's going to be the Diamondbacks' pitching against the Texas Rangers' offense, and the Ra- the, the Rangers their offense is stacked. They have they obviously have high end talent and Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and and Evan Carter, and they they got tough outs across the board um, and a really challenging lineup that basically gives you no breaks. And then talking to people with the Astros and even people who watch that entire series, it's it's that lineup consistently puts pressure on you um, no matter who's at the plate. And that's going to be something that the Diamondbacks are really going to have to deal with here. And obviously they have, um, they have Merrill Kelly, they have Zach Gallon, and they have Brandon Fott, who has emerged as, as a really like important piece for them this postseason. And they have some good pieces in the bullpen too. Um, but it, let's say they have those three starters go and they're forced to go to another bullpen game in game four. Um, that's going to be put a lot of pressure on Brent Strom, that bullpen, and that or- entire team basically uh, to overcome that. Because especially just with how much pressure the Rangers put on you offensively, um, and I'm also really curious. Number two here is the Rangers' bullpen. They they had a pretty extensive workload here in this postseason, and the Diamondbacks' bullpen, from everything I can tell, is in pretty good shape. And I wonder if the Rangers' workload is eventually going to catch up to them, uh, potentially in this series. I mean, they showed no signs of it, obviously, um, well, and recently in that last series. But uh, I'm curious to see if it eventually catches up to them. But I'm, I'm curious, Adam, from your end, like what are you watching for in this series? I think every year we sit and wait around and try to figure out who the seemingly tiny moves at the deadline and around the deadline and in the second half of the season, the completely change a team's World Series fate are. We, it's impossible to predict. You just don't know until you get here. But this yeah. year, it feels like trade deadline-wise, Tommy Pham made a massive difference for the Diamondbacks and in the way the National League playoffs played out. And are they here if they don't take a flyer on DFA Ryan Thompson in the bullpen, who's been borderline spotless? I think 
it's just another example of why obviously good GMs and good infrastructure matters, but you can't judge the trade deadline. There was at least a 1% chance that we were here in October going, man, I'm glad the Yankees got Keenan Middleton. Like what a masterstroke. Now he was great. They were bad. They didn't even make the postseason. but who would have ever been able to say like Lance Lynn, Joe Kelly. Sure. I like it. Don't love it. Ryan Thompson's the move. I love absolutely nobody. Yeah. And I'll tell you too, like the fact that he's been so good and they've had some of these young relievers really step up this postseason and even look at Brandon Fott and like they're basically their entire pitching staff has played really well. The Brent Strom edition, like that, like it, it was talked about in the moment as being a really big addition, but he's a huge reason why they're here and why their pitching has been so well, and especially why a guy like Ryan Thompson has succeeded here when he didn't necessarily succeed elsewhere. Um, that Strom is regarded as one of the best pitching coaches in baseball for a reason, and I think this work, the work that he's done this postseason, is perhaps his best yet because uh, it's been really freaking impressive. You got to feel good for Mike Hazen, who absolutely deserves to be here. You got to feel good for Tori Lovello. Two guys who've, like, the fact that Hazen did not make a move on Lovello when the Diamondbacks were hitting significant hard times. I mean, no one's going to be able to act like this was just a smooth road to the top where, oh, they're down. They lose 100 games. They fight back. They clock close to 500. Now they have this season. There were multiple, I mean, they made the playoffs in 2017. They fell apart. They rebuilt the roster. Jordan Lawler is going to be here next year. Drew Jones is going to be here after that. They seem to have made some slick draft picks as well. But, um, yeah, just just an extremely loud and prominent shout-out to Mike Hazen for sticking with his friend and, and finding a, a, a completely shocking road to the World Series. Um, a lot of people are going to call this a format issue. A lot of people are going to say this devalues the postseason because of the winning percentages – I don't see it that way at all. I, I I do see it as an outlier. I don't think we'll see this again, but I don't think that that's a negative consequence of the way baseball is structured. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and before we also get in, into that part real quick, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Mike Hayes. And I wanted to point something out too, is like yes. part of my job is like, I got to remain objective and like, you can't root for teams or, or whatnot, but uh, Mike Hazen's a really easy guy to root for. One he's a great dude. And earlier this year, he ended up losing his wife, Nicole, um, after she passed away uh, after a battle with cancer. And the fact like he he, it's he's just a really good dude who's overcome a lot. And he's stuck by his best friend. And there's a story in ESPN, by the way, it was written by Alvin Gonzalez about how close Hazen and Lovello actually are. And uh, Lovello puts up the Christmas lights every year at Hazen's house um, just for Nicole. And he said he's going to do that for the rest of their lives. And it really dives into their relationship. I think it's worth a read, but uh, Mike Hazen, like he, I, he's someone that is super easy to root for um, and just shout out to him and shout out to his entire family and going, going like switching gears here and going back to the, to the postseason format thing. Um, I don't necessarily think like, I think the playoff format thing can probably be put to bed at this point. Like obviously, like that expanded playoff format helped the Diamondbacks get into this, and like I think it's only been—I think it's been a good thing for baseball, just because it's added um, just even more unpredictability. I know there's going to be some people who say that at this point, the Braves and the Phillies and um, the Astros and and all these high-end teams that won 100 plus games should be at this point, but they like both these teams got 
to this position fair and square. And um, I, I don't have an issue with the postseason format. I think it's here to stay. I'm probably I might be in the minority with that. I don't know where you stand on this, Adam, but um, I personally don't have an issue with it. I feel the same way. And at what point do we just put the onus on the teams and the players? Like we all had the conversation about too much rest in the first round, throwing top offenses off their game. The Phillies went up 2-0 and won game two, 10 nothing. They go on the road and they struggle, but they do win game five to be able to return home with a series lead and a chance to close it out at Citizens Bank Park. The best hitters on the Phillies, Schwarber, Turner, Harper, and Castellanos go one for 21 in the final two games. Do we now have to have a debate about having a day off between games five and six? Like, how deep do we have to go on that? Because that, you know, the, the players got cold. The players mm-hmm. were hot in game two, were cooled off in the desert, came home, could not come through in important games. Is that a format issue? Do we need to rejigger it so the Phillies have a fairer shot to perform at Citizens Bank Park? Or can we look at it and say incredible location by Merrill Kelly, incredible start in a game seven by Brandon Fott, who was barely hanging on to a rotation spot at points during this season and give those guys their flowers for getting the job done. Like is every individual loss now a format problem? Is it a format problem that we get to have this inspirational Mike Hazen story and this incredible Tori Lavulo tale? Like, or can we just stand back and look and, and say, this has been a postseason that's almost impossible to replicate from any projection system, but it's what we've watched. We saw it with our own two eyes and here we are. No, I, everything you just said, I echo that 1000%. And, um, the fact that the, I, the fact that the Diamondbacks, they won 84 games in the regular season and the, like getting here was not like a format issue. It was, as you said, it was Brandon Fott stepping up. It was the bullpen stepping up. It was Gabrielle Marino. It was Cattell Marte. It was Corbin Carroll in game seven really stepping up for the Diamondbacks. It took a team effort. And uh, the, the Phillies were up 2 nothing in the series, too. Like That's another part of this. And the Diamondbacks, they won four out of five and won two consecutive games in Philadelphia, which is probably the toughest environment in baseball. They deserve their flowers, as you said. Um, I just, They got here fair and square, and they defied all the odds. And here we are now. And here's, here's one more thing that I, I hope the Diamondbacks do it. I don't know if they'll do it, but I think they should have um, Chris Russo, a uh, mad dog, throw out the first pitch for game three. I think that would be freaking awesome because right after the game, if you looked in their locker room, they were shouting mad dog, mad dog, mad dog. And I think they absolutely should because I think the crowd would go absolutely nuts here in Arizona. We were going to have Mad Dog on the show because he because he quit. So we were like, we were going to have him on as a third co-host today. We didn't hook that up. Um, yeah, never make proclamations. You're not willing to stand by. Uh, and he apparently uh, is uh, remaining on the air. So good for Mad Dog, but that's a great idea. He should absolutely throw out the first pitch. Uh, and again, that series, like, look, you, you lose game three. You, Craig Kimbrell gets walked off in a tie game. That series, I would say, turned in game four. Phillies, all they had to do, we said, like, this feels like a 2-1-2 to me. Phillies go drop game three, maybe take their foot off the gas pedal, come back and win four and five. They were up 5-2 late in game four, seemingly had taken control of it. Kirkering struggles but works out of that jam. It's 5-3, and Alec Thomas just tomahawks a Kimbrel pitch out to the pool. That has nothing to do with rest and rust. That's execution. That's a young player 
in the spotlight, having a moment. The Phillies, there was no reason they should have lost that grip on game four, and they win the series. If they hold it, that's the the game that changed the series. Oh, 100%. And and if the Phillies had a different closer, if they had, let's say, Paul Seawald, they win yeah. that series. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's any anyone who could dispute that. Craig Kimbrell lost them that series. And, um, yeah, that was – yeah, I mean, I, I can't say it enough. The, the, the Diamondbacks deserve their flowers because they earned it. And I think the playoff format talk should be put to bed. I am going to predict, I, 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 in the same way I thought it was going to be a 2-1-2 format last time, I think the Rangers win in six. I think it's very close. I think it's dicey. And I think the Diamondbacks win game one on the road. That's how I feel. All right, well... If the Diamondbacks win game one, uh, that that could really, I think, change some things here. I'm going to go – what do I want? I'm going to go – do I follow your lead? Do I go Rangers in six? You good. I think I'm going to go Rangers in six. So congratulations to the Arizona Diamondbacks at winning the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe winning it in three. Somehow winning it in fewer games than it even takes to win the World Series. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you if there if there's ever a time where it's going to happen, it's going to be it's going to be now just to like make our predictions look terrible. But yeah, yeah I'm I'm going Rangers in six. And oh, do we do a World Series MVP? Because I'll go Corey Seager for that. That's not going off the cuff here, but I mean that's that's yeah, no. I like that. Yeah, I love that. I'll, I'll go uh, I'll go Nathan Avaldi. Ooh, I really like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it, yeah, Although- he's, that guy's good in the postseason. He Although is. I did just predict they lose game one. So if they lose game one, which he's starting, then no, he is not going to be the World Series MVP. But Already uh, contradicting yourself. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. I forgot he's starting game one. I'm they use Montgomery in relief. Yeah, I, I will. You know what? I'll go. I'll, I'll stick with Evaldi. I say he wins the World Series MVP. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. But there is so much more going on this week. There are some active Major League Baseball teams that are non-participatory in the World Series or even the playoffs that had plenty of noise to make. The Red Sox, I guess we got to start with because they finally do make their uh, their leadership higher. And it's Craig Breslow, who we heard last week might be the front runner, but maybe they preferred him as GM and not president of baseball ops. So, nope, they're handing the keys to him. They uh, James Click backed away last week. They even turned Kim Eng turned the opportunity to interview down. The pool seemed to be distilling itself to Breslow, who they loved, and maybe Thad Levine. Somehow, Thad gets eliminated by the Red Sox. I don't even know if he got a second interview. And they will now put their stock in Craig Breslow, and they are still looking for a GM hire. Yeah, they they are. And like to, to stick with Craig Breslow for a second, he's somebody that was really instrumental in the Cubs' Uh, they're, they're pitching throughout the entire organization. Yes. And I think that's going to be something that is a focal point for him in Boston. And it could lead to them. Um, like, cause it's clear that the organization has been trying to save money in recent years and not spending as much in free agency. So I wonder if they go with uh, some higher upside guys in free agency where they end up like spending. Um, I mean, 
my mid-tier guys who they think have upside, um, where they think that Breslow and their pitching staff um, can end up like maximizing their abilities. But uh, their GM search is also an interesting one too. Um, I've, I'm going to guess it goes to Eddie Romero. That's like what some other people in the industry believes. Nobody with the Red Sox is confirming or denying that by any means. Um, but he's somebody that I think received pretty serious consideration for their, for their head job and getting him as their GM where he's got a relationship uh, with Alex Cora. Uh, I don't know if he has a relationship with Breslow or not, but I think that would be pretty important for them too. And speaking of relationships, speaking of relationships, um, I think a name to watch for their pitching coach job might be Andrew Bailey. He is currently unsigned. Uh, well, his, his status is in limbo after the Giants hired Bob Melvin um, as their as their manager. And he, from everything I've gathered, is extremely close with Craig Breslow. And I think that could be a possibility um, if the Giants let him go elsewhere. So that might be, I think that's going to be one to watch here in the coming days and the coming weeks. I love the comment on, you know, Breslow reworking the rotation potentially outside of Brian Bayo. He was able to raise the average velocity in Chicago's system to the point where the Cubs are one of the front running teams in terms of creating velo. Um, the Red Sox have obviously lacked that in recent years and it lacked pitching talent across the board and they lack it in their system by and large at this point. I mean, it's an offensive top heavy system. I will say the one name that rings as sort of a that, you know, it seems to check every box. Like, will they rework the rotation outside of Bayo? Like, look for mid tier names with upside, et cetera. It does feel like they're going to maybe turn Nick Pavetta into the monster that he was always supposed to be this year. That's the only other one, the only rotation bullpen swingman guy I would kind of be married to this offseason. It feels like he stays and gets upgraded. Yeah. Oh, I, I think, I think there's a, I think that's a, a very good thought by you. And I think another part of this as well, that um, I'm curious to see what, what uh, Breslow does here. Does he follow the lead of some of these other organizations and look at early extensions for guys like Bayo or Bayo and, uh, and Tristan Casas? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's something that they would pursue. Um, I don't necessarily know what their plan is, but that could be something that, uh, I think the organization would be really smart to um, s- smart to explore. Yeah. I mean, Breslow is a Theo protege. The one con is you would say, okay, the issue with High and Bloom was very smart man, very, you know, personnel guy that everybody loved, but lacked the killer instinct, not a lot of decision making experience. Craig mm-hmm. Breslow certainly has not had to do much of that either. Uh, so the pessimists among, you know, Red Sox fans would, would say, okay, so we brought in a you know a great pitching consultant, but why is he the president of baseball operations? That said, there's a clear ethos here, and there's a pipeline directly to Theo Epstein. There's a reason that they went and made out uh, made this hire, and eventually, if you're going to bring someone in your organization, you have to promote them. So they did. Exactly. Um, Jason's comment before we move on, I do want to yep. uh, yeah, I want to hit that and make sure we talk about um, you know is there a spending increase in Boston's future this offseason? We've seen them thrown around in the Otani mix at least a little bit. If they're if they're even considered for Otani, they're going to have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars this offseason. But even if they don't finish first there, is there potentially a mandate to increase spending? Yeah, this is so it's a, it's a this is a great question here by Jason. And I cannot say that I have independently heard one way or another what the Red Sox are planning on doing this offseason, how much money they're planning on spending. But read the tea leaves. 
the Red Sox got turned down by a lot of top candidates. And um, under Bloom, they were really not spending that much. They they did make a very competitive offer to Nathan Uvalde last year. Uh, I was I think it was more than um, more than he was like he ended up signing for in Texas, but uh, it did not get done. Mm-hmm. But they like the spending there has not been to what it was, and um, I think based on these other candidates turning them down, that to me would read like it's going to remain the same. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps I'm reading this wrong. But from the outside looking in, that's kind of like the view that I'm uh, that I'm gathering just based on how many how many of these top candidates turn them down. Well, they're going to spend, I would say, more wisely if they do spend. I I don't think they're going to, you know, I don't I'm I was so surprised they spent so much on the bullpen last year and very little else. Um, I mean, Kenley Jansen made the all star team this year and Chris Martin was the one who should have made the all star team this year. But still ended up in last place. So we'll, we'll see what Craig Breslow does and, and potentially internal moves like Eddie Romero, see how that beefs up the Red Sox whole operation. Uh, speaking of a dream hire though, Andrew Bailey and Craig Breslow, the dots are easy to connect. The dots were equally easy to connect in San Francisco where Bay area native, Bob Melvin, former giants player, Bob Melvin gets the opportunity to interview the Padres, grant him the ability to go talk to the giants He's hired immediately. Such a natural fit that, honestly, from the outside looking in, you kind of have to wonder if Gabe Kapler was fired just so they could make room for Bob Melvin. And immediately afterward, they got Farhan Zaidi, his little extension through 2026. So what should we think about this package, and how should we view Melvin's immediate future in San Francisco? This was a home run hire for the Giants, I, and I, I they could not have hired a better candidate in my eyes. And this was one that I think once it became clear that Melvin was probably not going to return to San Diego, that it just made all the sense in the world because this was his dream job. And the, the relationship between him and A.J. Preller was obviously not good. Um, there was reports of it being irreparable, um, that they just butted heads and um, – and it was just, it was not good. Uh, based on what I have gathered, it, it was kind of along those lines, more just like they just did not get along and they butted heads. And, um, but the Giants could not have done any better with this hire. And, and now he's tasked with filling out a coaching staff. And um, that's his first priority. But I think this hire is going to end up being really good for uh, multiple ways. One, it's going to end up um, he's a really clubhouse friendly guy and he's going to be able to hold these guys accountable because there's, there were some instances last year, um, where players weren't necessarily like it's, uh, I don't know how I want to describe it, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't the best at times in terms of like preparing for games, um, and just some stuff that was going on in that clubhouse from what I can gather. And he's going to be able to hold them accountable um, he's going to be able to put them in, in good situations. It's He's going to end up being able to manage the pitching staff in a lot better way, in my opinion, because there was some there was plenty of frustration last year from guys like Alex Wood um, about his, his, his role because he wanted to start and Kapler was using him in a really unique role. Um, and also when it comes to recruiting and free agency, because remember – um, right after they fired Gabe Kapler, Farhan Zaidi said he wanted their manager to be a good recruiter. And Melvin has relationships up and down baseball. Um, he is apparently like 
very like tied in with the international market. And obviously they have some, there's plenty of talented guys who are coming to major league baseball this year. None more, more none more talented uh, than Yamamoto. Obviously Shohei Otani is a free agent. So perhaps he could recruit there. He's going to be able to recruit in a lot of different ways. And I thought that was a rocks rock solid hire for them. Um, pairing him with Zaidi. I know there's giants fans who criticize Zaidi and they have really voiced their displeasure with him. I think he is a good president of baseball operations. This is a really good hire for them. And I think this marriage is going to end up being um, a really good one and could get them back into the postseason before too long. And perhaps even in 2024. I'm only slightly surprised they gave him the vote of confidence with the extension before this offseason. I mean, you know why they did it. You don't want Melvin entering uncertainty, but they are claiming again that they will not be outbid for the players they intend to pursue. Yamamoto is one of the rumored names. That's a happy, they're talking a big game. Like you got to land that plane. And so now it is on that front office to make sure they have the highest offer out for the players that they covet in kind of a strange free agent market. Like, it's Yamamoto, it's Otani, it's Bellinger. Then it's, you know, Bob Melvin's former, you know, right fielder Juan Soto, as we're seeing in the comments. Once you get through the first three free agents, then you're talking trade already because those upper echelon names maybe are not there. Um, what are you thinking on Juan Soto, by the way? I, I kind of feel like it is nothing that the Yankees and Juan Soto as uh, camp, the, the Padres have just, like, talked. Like, they, they better have talked, but I don't really think you make much out of that smoke yet. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking much of the smoke either. And the Padres, from from everything that I have learned about them over the years, is they will never turn down a phone call. And if the Yankees are going to offer the Padres the moon, then, I mean, I would imagine they they would definitely consider doing it. But I think that's just a case of A.J. Preller doing his due diligence, wanting to know what's out there. Um, I, I, I can't imagine Soto not starting the next season in San Diego. Unless something, unless an offer just comes across the board that Preller can't turn down, um, but they're they're still with the thinking of they want to win, and yeah, I Soto's got to be a big part of that because in all likelihood they're going to lose at least one of Josh Hader or Blake Snell this offseason, and perhaps even both. And and you know the Giants they need starting pitching, and and who did Bob Melvin manage last year? He just happened to manage Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. You never know. But, um, yeah, I, it's they're going to be in the business of winning in San Diego, and I think Soto is going to still be a big part of that. But but if they are losing again the next trade deadline and Soto is a couple months out from free agency, then things could get pretty crazy. Then I think a trade becomes a realistic thought, but just not in the offseason here. Yeah, then he's got to go. You trade him to D.C. for James Wood and uh, Jackson Merrill and C.J. Abrams. Now, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. <laughs> um yeah, aggregator squad assemble. By the way, you guys know the timestamp. We talked about Juan Soto popping here, popping here. Aggregate that. Uh, tweet it out. Get your get your flowers. Uh, before we sign off, the Houston Astros are gone, and I will not bemoan that, and I will not eulogize them either. But so is Dusty Baker. The Astros lose the ALCS. Dusty walks away at the end of Game Seven. Officially retires yesterday, even though we heard from plenty of people in the immediate aftermath that he planned to walk away. Now we know 26 years managerial career has ended, probably ends in Cooperstown, especially because he's got that ring. How do the Astros regroup and move on now? I, I heard Joe Espada's name thrown around. You always do. I heard Brad Ausmus today was the Dusty Baker runner up when they hired Dusty in 2020. That surprises me, but it's good to see his name back in the mix, I guess. 
what are you hearing on potential candidates to take over the reins in Houston? Yeah, it's weird because Osmus is also one of the top candidates to like be their GM uh, before they yeah. hired Dana Brown, which yeah. um, their fascination with Brad Osmus is a little strange considering how he was with the Angels and also Detroit. Um, just like a, I don't know, I, I don't necessarily get it, but um, evidently Jim Crane and, and Astros ownership really likes him. And um, I think he's going to be one of the many candidates that they ultimately do consider. And if you look, they could possibly talk to Joe Espada, as we said. I think Ron Washington makes a whole lot of sense there because he also knows Dana Brown for their time in Houston and or from their time in Atlanta, I should say. And uh, going from Dusty Baker to Ron Washington would be going from one highly respected manager to another highly respected baseball person. Like there's not many people who are more respected in baseball than Ron Washington. And I think that'd be just a really good hire for them. I also wonder too, if a guy like Stephen Volk could become a candidate there, he is someone that has talked to um, a lot of these different teams. He has talked to the guardians. He's talked to, he interviewed with the giants and um, it's, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Let's say Craig council does leave for, for New York. Um, I, I think he would talk to the Brewers. I remember when I was on the Brewers beat, it was it was something that I talked to some players about, even some like some front office people or whatever. I was like, let's say when Council's done, who do you think the next manager is? I would say about ninety percent of those people said Stephen Vogt, uh, because every, I remember being in Milwaukee, being on that beat, and Stephen Vogt was constantly hanging around Craig Council in the dugout as he was managing the game, and he was picking his brain. I remember even Curtis Granderson telling me that. Um, when we, when we talked to him the other day and it was evident to me that that vote was a manager, um, or he was going to be a manager someday. And I think he will be after this, or I think he will be a manager this next season. It's just only a matter of where, but, uh, the Astros and the Brewers, if they do lose counsel, better get involved quick because it sure sounds like he's a very serious candidate in Cleveland. A hundred percent. That's what it feels like. The winds are blowing to me right now. I was going to bring up when we talked to Curtis too. I don't remember. I don't, I don't think we were rolling anymore. He advocated for Ron Washington as well. Basically said that people in the game don't seem to understand why Ron Washington is not currently a major league manager. The last time Texas was in the world series, Ron Washington's doing, he's become a, he's still a respected coach. He's still working with the Braves. Hasn't gotten back to getting that head job. Uh, similar exudes a similar presence as what Dusty Baker did. And, yeah. Dusty, look, Astros fans have grown more impatient than any other fan base. I saw them flaming Dusty this postseason. Stop it. You won the 2022 World Series. He navigated you to a championship last year. Apparently, the grace period is now a couple of days before you can start screaming about mistakes your manager made. Like, it used to be like five years after a title, you can get yeah. angry. Now it's like tomorrow. I can be like, oh, why haven't I won another World Series since the one I won on Saturday? Like, it, it sucks. Um, no, I said I wasn't going to talk about the Astros, and here I am. But yeah, and, and, a great pick. Oh, one hundred percent too. And I also want to—I'm glad you mentioned that about about Dusty Baker. And he he stepped into a situation that where it could have easily blown up. It was after the sign stealing scandal, and these guys facing all sorts of different penalties, and um, it could it could easily blown up. And he did a masterful job keeping that team together not worrying about the outside distractions and that outside, like that, that veteran voice of his was a big reason why they kept it all together. And the fact that he's getting flamed um, by fans there, I think is, 
is bullshit. <laughs> but he deserves better than that. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. Respect the guy. And it, it was a shame to hear him say that um, one of the reasons why he stepped down uh, and decided to retire um, was because of like it was he even mentioned some articles, too. Um, I don't know what articles he was talking about, um, but just really unfortunate because a guy like that who's as respected and just like good dude like that, he deserves better. And uh, shame on Astros fans for that. Yeah, he was the one thing the Astros had going for them that tugged at your heartstrings a little bit as an outsider. It's like, oh, I don't want the Astros to win the World Series, but Dusty finally gets one. Now, nothing tethering. I do not feel sympathetic. You, you can't sell me on feeling sympathetic for a single Houston Astro. Sorry, uh, and hopefully I don't have to. Because uh, hopefully this is maybe the beginning of the end of that extremely lengthy seven consecutive ALCS run where the same people did the same things every year. Well, no more. That's the beauty of the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks being in the damn World Series. You have never seen this matchup before. You've never seen these players in the Fall Classic before. The vast majority of them. Extremely unfamiliar territory. First pitch of Friday's game will be George W. Bush to Pudge Rodriguez last week's baseball insiders guest. And uh, that is, I mean, again, completely a spectacle, the likes of which we have not seen. I am extremely excited to see how it turns out. And it will not be Rangers and six. It will be whatever the opposite of that is. Uh, Robert, thanks for joining us as always. If you're not a member of the YouTube channel, become one. It's so easy. Just become a member, join the discord, hang out with us. The sponsor of today's show is DraftKings. The code is Baseball Insider. Get to those bonus bets. $5 first bet. Instantly claim 200 bonus bets if you are a new user. So please check the description of this episode to see if you qualify. And if you haven't signed up yet, now is the perfect time to do so. So that you can bet on explicitly the opposite of what we said would happen in this year's World Series. Robert, we're getting closer to the offseason. Savoring this last week of baseball because... Uh, I mean, it might be our time to shine, but it will be sad when they turn off all the lights and we go to the winter meetings. Yeah, it, it will be sad for no baseball season because um, this has been one hell of a year. But let me tell you, the offseason is, is very close. I have been putting in a lot of hours in texting sources, meeting up with sources, you name it, to try to bring you guys the best information to be able to break the news first. And hopefully we end up breaking some news live in this podcast because we've done it before. Mm-hmm. and I want to do it again and make sure you subscribe to this show. Also make sure you subscribe to the, the to the discord as well. Cause um, we'll be dropping some plenty of knowledge in there as well, especially while I'm live at the winter meetings and at the GM meetings. So stay tuned for that, but uh, appreciate you all. Adam, I appreciate you. Joanne, our lovely producer. I appreciate you too. Um, see you on Monday, by the way, Monday's show will be a little bit earlier. Yes. Um, so it's going to be two hours earlier. It's going to be 2 p.m. Eastern time. Yep. Because um, I am going to be at the World Series, and I want to make sure we bring you guys as much content as we possibly can. Yeah, you show up at the normal time, 3.30 Eastern, you will get the Yanks Go Yard feed, which, again, if you want to hear me scream about the Yankees, you're more than welcome. But for baseball insiders, fans, and listeners, 2 o'clock Eastern on Monday before the World Series game, Someone in the Discord this week asked if we were going to have a presence at the winter meetings. The answer is, you're damn right we will. I will miss the, uh, of course I'll miss the live action. I'll miss the World Series. But Robert will be at the winter meetings. We're going to do as many shows as we possibly can, keeping you posted as the pulse quickens at baseball's biggest offseason event. And uh, plenty of baseball still to be played, though, before we get there. Going to be a huge offseason. Going to be an interesting World Series. We'll see you all Monday at 2 o'clock Eastern. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.